I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Over the Monster Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by Matt Collins, also of Over the Monster. Matt, how you doing, man? Tired. Tired from all this baseball stuff, or, or what are we talking about here? Yeah, mostly all this baseball stuff, and also it's incredibly humid, which is not helpful. Yeah, the weather's been crazy today. Today I was I was outside at, the, at my parents' pool, and uh, it was like... 84 degrees but 97 was the real feel because of the humidity and how sunny it was so yeah it's been pretty hot it's definitely baseball weather and with that um we'll get right into it we have some big news today that baseball is back players are going to report to camp on july 1st it seems like this is going to take place most likely at their home ballparks um and play is set to resume on july 24th um for all of these teams so um, there's still a lot of details to be worked out, but you know the commissioner did what he has the right to do, uh, and the players uh, have have all but uh, put their rubber stamp on this, and it seems like we're actually going to get baseball. Well, 
we're actually going to get a plan for baseball. Still not all that confident we're going to get baseball, but yeah, it's it's uh it's certainly feeling like that. So let's just go through some of the details here before we kind of start chatting through it, um, because there's a lot of things to digest and uh, details are still coming in and they're coming in super piecemeal right now so it's kind of hard to interpret so if we get something wrong on this podcast don't hold us to it but the players are going to play 60 games uh, over 66 days uh, right now Um, there's going to be universal dh this year as part of the health concerns um, but as we'll talk about later that's not going to be part of the plan for 2021 there are no guarantees uh, being made to the players should a second wave uh, hit uh, of COVID or that you know the infections get out of hand or something like that uh, and a season becomes impossible. There are no actual financial guarantees made to these players in that setting. Uh, August 31st is going to be the trade deadline for this abbreviated season. It does seem like the competitive balance tax will reset, which is a huge consideration for the Red Sox. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Well, I don't know if we've. I don't know if you wanted to get through all of that. I don't know that the CBT is um, a huge deal. But do you want to get into that right now? Sure. I Let's mean, do it. Basically, I mean, my point is basically it's pretty simple. The owners aren't going to spend anything. Not just John Henry and the Red Sox owners. No owners are going to spend anything in free agency this year. Um, oh yeah. I would expect no team to be over the luxury tax threshold anyway next year. Maybe teams are already over, um, and don't and aren't like losing enough players to get under it. They might be, but I don't think any team are gonna is gonna add some significant amount of payroll, and that includes the Red Sox. So, um, I mean, I guess all things considered, it's probably better than not that they're under the tax threshold or in resetting the penalties. But functionally, I don't really think it matters because I'm assuming they're going to be under the threshold again next year. So the penalties would have just been reset then. Yeah. Yeah. In the event that, you know, anybody does spend any money, uh, it does, it is a consideration there. And it was a big reason why they made the Mookie Betts trade too. So I think that, you know, that's, it's worth mentioning, but I think that's a great point. And we're going to get into that a little bit more as we talk about the proposal that they actually turned down. A few more details about what we know so far. Um, 60 players are going to be invited to big league spring training. Um, Three players are going to be part of the taxi squad on the road, and one must be a catcher. Matt, I think you had something that you wanted to say about that, right? There's some type of a tweak to the taxi squad. For the catcher? Yeah. Uh, Well, it's just, I forget who said this, so sorry for not giving proper credit there, but um, it was just if you carry three players, which I'm assuming everybody will, but the text or the way that whoever wrote that it was stark um he says if three one must be a catcher so for some reason a team only carries two i guess you don't have to carry a catcher but i don't know why you would any team would do that right yeah and then uh roster sizes um which is kind of an interesting thing that just came through it's going to be 30 or initially it's going to be 28 after two weeks and 26 uh, after four weeks and there's going to be a special uh, COVID IL, uh, which is going to be separate than the regular IL, and it's going to have different rules about when you can be activated uh, off of that. And it's going to be based on symptoms, not necessarily a number of days. Um, and then my impression, Matt, and I, I don't know if you got the same impression from everything that you were reading, but that they're still going to do the, the regional 
big divisions that are not uh, taking into account AL and NL. It seems like it's going to be East, Central, and West still. Yeah, I haven't seen any indication that that's not the case. Um, and I, that's the reason that the Universal DH is going to be involved in the first place, just because you had all the AL and NL teams playing against each other. Um, also, I think there are health reasons for the pitchers, but I think it's mostly because you have the AL and NL teams playing against each other. So, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming until nobody said otherwise, so, yeah, I would assume it's still the regional plan. Yeah, and, and all this is to say, like, this is the plan right now. There's a lot of details that are going to be coming in over the next few days, and we're kind of trying to distill them down and give them to you as they come through. Um, but I, I expect a lot of things to kind of be tweaked and changed. Um, but I, I guess my first question for you, Matt, um, and, and I think you're pretty skeptical of this, but is this the right move by these two sides to get together and, and play? Because, I mean, it doesn't seem like either side is super thrilled about this. And from a health perspective, there's still big questions. Well, I think the health perspective is the thing that really matters. I mean, for the other stuff, yeah, it's the right. I mean, if there was no pandemic going on, obviously, yeah, this is the right decision. But labor, the tensions between the two sides doesn't really have anything to do with that. They should be playing. But as far as the pandemic and all that, I'm not going to pretend I'm smart enough to give you a definitive yes or no. Um, I'm writing about this for tomorrow. It's, it's I'm feeling very conflicted about everything here. Um, I mean, on the one hand, obviously I want baseball to be back for one, because I just super like watching baseball and it's part of my life. And it's just something I've gotten used to, to doing in the summer. And it's just, I would very much like that in my life. Um, also it will be very difficult for me to potentially pay the rent if there's no baseball for a couple of years. So, um, from a financial standpoint, I would like baseball to be there. Uh, but also, it just, I don't know, it just does not feel like we should be playing baseball right now. Um, there are huge spikes, obviously, of COVID all around the country, and I know people like to say professional athletes aren't susceptible to this. There's just so many things wrong with that, starting with some of them do have those pre-existing conditions that make it a big deal. Also, they have families with pre-existing conditions. Also, there are a lot of other people involved in the games who are on the older part of the age spectrum who are in that high-risk group and maybe most importantly we don't know what the long-term effects of getting this is there's some evidence that there is major lung damage that is possible even if you don't really get symptoms at first that can happen down the road so i mean there are real considerations here and the fact that there are big spikes in places like Texas where there are two teams and Florida where there are two teams and LA where there are two teams and Arizona where it seems like 90% of baseball players live in the offseason I mean it's just it feels like a bad idea and throw on top of that the fact that they're traveling I mean I feel like this isn't being talked about enough they're traveling that is insane like the Red Sox are going to be flying up and down the east coast during a pandemic teams out west are going to be covering even more ground same with the teams of the central so i mean again i'm not nearly an expert enough on this stuff to say it's for sure a bad idea but i think that the framing of this by some of the more prominent baseball voices and the people that have the platforms aren't nearly skeptical enough and i feel like we're all just kind of pushing aside the fact that we're in the midst of a major pandemic and we really have no idea where things are going and I just really wish 
people would at least acknowledge that fact. You can still be excited. I'm still excited. I'm still going to be talking about the ins and outs of like the 48th man on the 60-man roster and all that stupid shit, but it's just every once in a while we need to take a step back and remember that there are real risks here and we need to consider all of that. Yeah, I think that's all worth uh, worth mentioning and considering, and I do think that you know there's a lot of reasons why it is a good idea to play, and there's a lot of reasons why you should be skeptical, and you did a good job of laying out those reasons, I think, from the player's perspective. I mean, a lot of these guys want to get back, first of all, to their job, the game they love. They want to be paid. You know, a lot of these guys aren't you know, actually going to be making money if they don't play, uh, which, you know, I think affects people in different ways. But, And I, I do think that they can do this in a way that is lower risk, but I do think it's going to take a whole ton of effort. And I'm not sure that it's going to be, uh, you know, something that everybody is going to follow to the T to make That's it possible issue, yeah. uh, to, to, to be the lowest risk. Like, obviously, you know, with the Red Sox, they're going to be flying on their personal jet. They're probably not even going to have to step foot in the airport. Like, they'll probably just get driven, like, right to the you know, the gate of the plane and, and get on the plane and probably be sanitized and stuff like that. So I think a lot of the things are going to be way safer than they would be for regular people. But I think the larger point that you made, the thing that concerns me the most when I think about them playing is the coaches. Um, you know, a lot of the third base coaches and first base coaches and, you know, bench coaches and, and hitting coaches and all these guys, I mean, they're older. And camera these guys are older. And- people involved with the tv network and yeah i mean there's a lot of people that go into making this game and they i mean i don't know that all of them are going to be on private jets yeah i mean there's just so many factors not to mention that you have to trust every single player to stay isolated and not go out drinking when you're in one of these states that's open and you can go to a bar and i saw that with the um women's soccer league a couple players or one player on that orlando team went out to a bar and that whole team had to withdraw from their tournament. And yeah, I mean, it's, it just takes a couple players deciding that they don't want to isolate anymore. And this whole thing could come crashing down. It's just, it's putting, it's not, I, it's not a lot of effort from the players, like on an individual basis, but it's a lot. There's just a lot of moving pieces and it doesn't take a lot for the whole house of cards to come falling down. And I think it's worth mentioning that ideologically, baseball clubhouses can be pretty conservative places. Oh, so there might not be sure. uh, very many people that uh, are fully on board with following all of these rules. I would I would be willing to guess that at least a third of Major League Baseball players think that COVID is like a hoax or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I actually, it's sad, but I think I probably agree with you there. Uh, and and probably some members of the Red Sox that you really like. Oh, I can um, guarantee that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so let's move past this a little bit. I want to get to the proposal of what the Major League Baseball Players Union actually turned down um, when they did uh, decide to turn that down. Um, so there's been a lot made of this and and Trevor Bauer has been kind of the big mouthpiece here, but what they turned down was 60 games prorated, which they're still going to get under this, uh, current, uh, setup. They turned down playoff money, which, uh, I had read was around $25 million, um, paycheck advance forgiveness, which was over $30 million from that initial 
March payout that the players had gotten. Um, they also turned down protection for non-guaranteed arb- arbitration contracts next year, DH for the 2021 season. Um, and if they did sign that, the big sticking point for the players is they were going to give away their right to file a grievance. They were essentially going to waive that right. Um, but the thing that I, I think I want to focus on here is kind of a couple of the points that Trevor Bauer made, and I want to get your thoughts on those. So, so first of all, these things are not small to the to the players. These things that they could have gotten in this uh, proposal by by agreeing to this. Um, but the grievance is also not small. So if you file a grievance, you know you could win several hundred million dollars uh, back to the players union if you win your grievance. However, winning a grievance is a long process. It's not guaranteed to have success. And also Rosenthal made a point that I think was was and is uh, a point that I it, it sucks that this is a real thing, but like if the players say they win like 500 million bucks, from the owners in a grievance, that's 100% just going to be taken away from them via not being offered contracts in future years. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... What do you, what do you do to a bully? You don't get into them. That's not a yeah. good reason to not file a well, grievance or any of that. So, but my, I guess my question here is, like, yes, ideologically... You're absolutely right. Like the right thing to do was not sign this thing and reserve your right. But when you know that they they've got you, like there's no other, there's not a lot of recourse that the players can have if other than lockout, which I think was on the table the whole time, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. But like, is it short sighted of the players not to take the better deal now and push the fight down the road? Like, what be- what benefit do you think this grievance gives them? Why were they so intent on? Well, I don't think on... it's just the grievance. I don't think that's the only reason they turned this down. Um, I mean, this is all none of this. The big one of the big mistakes of the entire framing of this whole fight has been that every single time anybody ever talked about it, it should have been also mentioned that. Neither side wants to give anything before the big CBA negotiation. And that goes to the players. They don't want to give up. They don't want to set a precedent for any of this stuff. They don't want to set a precedent that, yeah, in strange situations, you can take away our right to file a grievance. They don't want that on the record. Um, the, the expanded playoffs was a huge deal. Play, players did not want that. Um, and if that did happen and the playoffs were expanded for two years, that would have just been forever. Um, like anything that was agreed to would have just been forever. Um, so I mean, I think I think that is the big thing is that just basically the players were standing their ground. They got dicked around by the owners for weeks. They had already made an agreement in March that the owners were just trying to rip up, um, and I think it was all just about not giving in before the next CBA negotiation. Okay, so it has more to do with the next CBA negotiation, and I think that's the point that Bauer was trying to make here when he was talking about this online, as he was saying, like, essentially, we're fighting tooth and nail over these rules that are going to last the maximum of 16 months, but that's because not in the 16 case. months, we're going to have the new CBA negotiation, and then we're going to be back at this point where both sides are going to be negotiating because everything's going to be off the table at that point, right? Like they, this is going to be a substantial negotiation. They're going to be able to 
rebuild this whole structure if they want to. And it seems like both sides are kind of intent on that happening. Yeah, but once something becomes, like for the playoffs, for example, once something becomes a rule, once something is put into place, once it's put on paper, it is extremely hard to get rid of it. Okay, so, so you're saying if they those have rules wouldn't have only existed. If, yeah, if they went to 16 teams in the playoffs, that would have been forever. I am 90% sure of that. So do you think that by going to DH universally just for this season, I think, think that's we have DH forever? forever? I think that's going to be forever, okay. yeah. I would be very surprised if it's maybe not 2022, but um, or maybe not 2021, but by 2022 it will be universal. I'm fairly confident in that. Yeah, and, and I, I think the other wrinkle here is that the, the players uh, for the playoffs this year, if, if they're... Uh, are no fans, which we do not expect there to be fans uh, in the stands for the playoffs. Uh, the players will not get anything for participating in those playoffs. And that's kind of a huge deal. So the, you're not going to see a lot of things that we would normally see in a baseball season. We're not going to see players mic'd up. We're probably not going to see as many in-game interviews, things like that. It's going to be very different in the amount of access that the players give. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Was the last proposal that the owners made was that one where so that was just all prorated right like their pay didn't change whether or not the playoffs happened they, there was different playoff money but it wasn't like because i know some of their proposals it was like some sort of percentage if there was playoffs and some sort of percentage if there wasn't I don't uh in specific. the very last deal yeah the one that they turned so out. i think that was yeah, just the very last deal right? was the same money yeah, yeah. it was it was uh 1.5 billion dollars guaranteed which is what they're going to get now but they also had that 25 million dollar playoff yeah, pool okay. that they would have been able to to tap into and the paycheck forgiveness that they would have been able to get back and you know the way that it works financially uh and i think it's it's a good time to get into that is the players did counter one last time with a 70-game proposal. And the way that that looks on paper, and Mike Silverman actually is the one who, who wrote all this out, so I'm going to give credit to him. Um, it would have been $260 million more uh, on top of the $1.5 billion uh, to pay the players for 70 games full prorated, which comes out to $8.67 million uh, per team uh, to have accepted the players' Union's uh, final proposal of 70 games. And and if you look at the number of games that the Players Union proposed uh, each time, they each made four proposals, I believe. Um, the Players Union started off much higher and went down significantly every time, uh, whereas the MLB owners' proposals uh, only fluctuated within about 10 games uh, the entire time that they made proposals. So it does seem to me on, on the face of the negotiation that if they are to file a grievance that there is going to be uh, a little bit of an advantage to the players in terms of being able to say that they came down a lot more on what they were demanding than what the owners did to kind of meet them in the middle. My understanding of the grievance, um, and I'm not a labor lawyer, so if people... If I'm wrong, I hope people correct me, but my understanding, the whole grievance was always about the clause in the March contract, or the March agreement, that um, Manfred had to make a best, a good faith effort to play as many games as possible, Um, and I would imagine that the grievance would be they were very transparently stalling throughout this entire process. 
so they couldn't play as many games. And now, yeah, maybe 60 is the most games that they could play right now, but that's only because they wasted six weeks, two months of our time by giving us the same deal four times in a row. And even, just frankly, reopening this agreement in the first place when the players had already made the agreement. (laughs) Like, there was already an agreement in place, which is, I mean, I think the biggest point for the players here. And that's why they never budged is because they already made an agreement. Yeah, and I think the other frustrating thing for for all of us, and I think specifically the players' union, was how often these details were leaked right away by the MLB owners too. So this was not a closed door negotiation. And I read a really interesting article about uh, Kevin Euclid and his experience as part of uh, as a player representative for the players' union, and that was the biggest thing that he was criticizing. Uh, you know, post-playing days of this negotiation was just how public it is and how bad uh, that is for for both sides when, when the negotiation is leaked throughout the entire process. Yeah, I mean, reporters were getting the owner's proposal before the players were. Jake Deakman yeah. said that that last offer, um, that was the first time that they had gotten the offer before they saw it on Twitter. Hmm. Which is insane. Yeah, it's wild. So, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it seems like you think the players did the right thing by uh, not waiving their, their right to file a grievance and, and by not agreeing to, to the final proposal. Yeah, I mean, I think they've gotten their ass kicked in negotiations for about 20, 25 years. And it's about Basically time that they stand. Basically yeah. Yeah, and it's about time they stand their ground. And so, um, I mean, there's obvious risks here, and I'm not saying that this is going to work out well for them, but I think if I was part of the union this is the way i would go and i would yeah. also be uh talking to trevor bauer and being like hey uh, are you part of this union or not how about you uh shut up and let's show a little unity here yeah and i think the counterpoint here is that you know a couple people have reported that if they did sign the deal 61 percent of the players in baseball would have stood to make more money this year so i think the well that the was always calculus. the owner's goal was to split up the union i don't know that that i don't think that that's a big deal to the players my understanding is that the players are seeing through that strategy from the owners yeah i mean it clearly seems like that based on the voting right 33 to 5 but i think that that is a consideration uh certainly and oh, i think there's it certainly makes it more players i sure that are thinking like hey i wish we would have done that but i think for right. the most part um i mean the players are as unified as they've been in a very long time yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, let's move on here to, to the to the next question, and this kind of goes to the larger point of um, what this looks like down the road. Um, I'm wondering if you think that because of the hit that baseball's image has taken uh, in the public right now, whether or not both sides, the, the owners and the players, uh, are going to get together and try and do everything they possibly can to spend the next 16 months uh, hammering out the details of this thing so that we don't get a play stoppage um, after December of of 2021. It seems like there's a lot to figure out um, and there's some structures of the game that could, uh, you know, potentially undergo some very serious drastic changes, um, especially with how long players are controlled and what the payroll structure is like. Um, and, and, you know, I know that the owner's goal for a long time has been to introduce a salary cap 
And uh, I, I think everybody would agree that the system of arbitration and uh, the amount of player control that we have in this game is probably not very fair either. So there's a lot of good arguments, uh, I think, uh, to, to be made for kind of creating something brand new. But do you think that they will spend this time wisely in order to avoid a cataclysmic event of no season in 2022? Um, I mean, there's a lot going on in that question. I think they're yeah. certainly going to be negotiating a lot. I don't think they're going to be like sitting on their hands. Um, like pouting in the corner, I think both sides are going to be negotiating whether or not that stops a lockout. That's a totally different question. I would assume there's some sort of lockout. I don't think they're going to miss an entire season. I feel like that possibility is being way overblown. Um, I don't know when the last time was at the NHL. It's the only time I can really remember when a league really lost an entire season to a lockout. It could be like the, um, the NBA season, whenever that was, 10, 15 years ago, whatever that was, when they missed a quarter of the season. I can see something like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think both sides are very angry, and I don't think it's going to be a yeah. pre-negotiation. I think it's going to be very painful and tedious to watch play out in real time. I think this coming off season, where the owners are presumably going to spend next to nothing, is going to do nothing but make the players more unified and more angry. So, I mean, I don't think it's going to be pretty, but, yeah, I don't think they're going to be pouting in the corner either. Yeah, I'm actually left a little bit more optimistic. Uh, I kind of think that what this uh, stoppage of play because of COVID has done is it's brought a lot of these issues that would have been kind of kicked down the road to the forefront here and that they've been forced to look at a lot of these things right away and also look each other in the eye and start the negotiating process uh, in earnest. And I think that they've learned. I mean, both sides don't seem to be completely happy with how this has played out, and neither of them should be, um, because baseball and baseball fans are the ones that are suffering because of this. And I do think that this is kind of going to get get them off their asses a little bit with a little bit more urgency than they would have had. I, I, I think they would have been content to just kind of kick this thing down the road until the end of the 2021 season, had this whole thing not occurred. I you have a rosier view of all this than me. What I've learned is that the owners will not take a loss in any negotiation lately. And they are going to. If they get any perceived loss in the negotiation, if they feel like things aren't going their way at all, uh, they've already shown that they're pretty much just going to take their ball and go home and just be, be babies about it. So I don't know. If, if, they, if they keep doing that, though, public perception... Is, is a powerful tool, you know? I don't think it is. If any, if I've learned anything over the last couple of years living in this country, it's that public perception doesn't really matter for billionaires. <laughs> billionaires are uniquely, uh, uniquely They'll be okay uh, position to ignore. Yeah, no, they are. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I think my optimism stems from the fact that these are public businesses and also these billionaire owners love to... Uh, you know, get money for stadiums and municipalities for these, for these giant, you know, not even stadiums anymore that they build. These complexes that they build, these entertainment well, I think complexes. That's even more of a reason so. that they could lock out because they have other revenue streams from these teams. That even if there's no baseball, if you build an yeah. entire entertainment neighborhood around your park, you still get money for that. Even if there's no baseball, obviously less money, but. I think local politicians in a lot of areas will hold these guys 
accountable, especially if they're not delivering any benefit to the public. I don't. You know, through, through these through these things. All right, Matt. Well, you know what? I've got a little bit more faith in uh, in democracy for some reason. It's and not I'm a high vibe. Someone <laughs> you sure with do. A, with a little bit, I don't I actually don't have that much faith, but you know, apparently more than zero. Um, all right, so let's get to our listener questions. We have a ton of listener questions today. Uh, some of them pretty detailed, so we're gonna, um, you know, kind of just tackle these. First one comes from uh, one of our podcast hosts here, the Spoken Keats, Keaton DeRocher, and he says, "Should the Red Sox trade for Matt Thace? Uh He has a very unhealthy obsession with Matt Thace, and he's not good at baseball. It's Tice. Um, Tice, okay, Tice." Um, like Daniel Tice, any relation? Uh, well, it's spelled differently. And Daniel Tice is from Germany, I think. And he's like nine feet tall. He is pretty tall. Um, what in the second part of Keaton's question, the real part is, what does the trade deadline slash trading look like in a short season? Uh, frankly, I don't think there should be any trades. But I mean, there's not going to be much of anything, especially as we get close to the deadline. I think any big trades is going to happen within the first week or two of this training camp or whatever. Because, I mean, we've seen what teams are willing to give up at the trade deadline, and it's not too much. When you're talking about a trade deadline that's a month before the season, um, I mean, there might be some trades for, like, relievers, but I wouldn't expect too much movement at the trade deadline. Yeah, one thing that I think will make this interesting, though, is um, the fact that because it is such a short season, we could get some pretty wonky-looking standings by the time uh, August 31st rolls around. So I wonder if teams will be a little bit more motivated that don't usually make deals to you know, add some pieces. I don't think... I don't know. I'd be interested to take, give some front office people some truth serum and see how they really feel about this season and what it really means to contend this season because I don't think GMs are going to abandon any sort of rebuild like if the Tigers just picking a team out of a hat go on a run and they have a chance to make the playoffs I don't think they're going to trade from their pool of prospects to make a run for the season I just don't think it's worth it interesting yeah I I mean I actually do think it is because I think that that's going to I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Or I should Again, say, I don't think that the teams are going to think it's worth it. I don't I don't think this that the team... Let me say this. I don't think the baseball people will think that it's worth it. But I think that 
all in all, the perception of your team, if like the Tigers for some Tigers reason might were be to go example. on some Tigers. insane run yeah. and like, make go. the World Series, like like that's a huge deal for your gate next year. You know, that's if there is a that gets people excited. Come on, Matt. I mean, I mean it is... let's be real about it. That's, there's a, seriously no guarantee that there's a gate next year. No, there isn't. But you know, let's let's operate with a little bit of. A little bit of hope here. I mean, to me, I, I know you'd be a little tongue in cheek here, but to be frank about it, I think we're not us like us, but the royal us as people that talk about baseball on the platform are being a little too kind of and optimistic about what things look like right now. So, huh. all right. Um, Sorry, moving on. <laughs> it's okay. I can't get much lower. Um, Zach. Uh, who has asked lots of questions on this pod. Zach, thanks for your uh, questions over the years. He says, if you were in the shoes of one of the guys getting a 20K offer to sign with the Sox, uh, what would be the pros and cons of going with them over another team or waiting until next year? Um, I'm going to jump in here real quick. I think right off the bat, one of the pros I think about with signing for the Sox is just that there's um, not a whole ton of top-end talent in the Red Sox system right now. So I think that it's a system where you could potentially move towards the upper echelon of a particular position group pretty quickly. And I also think that if you're a hitter, the Red Sox just have a really good uh, tradition of being able to develop hitters. Um, And so if I was a minor league player, those would be two things that are attractive to me about signing with the Sox. Yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much covers it. There's also, I mean, it's different for every player. Like if I was... Uh, player, forgetting that I'm a Red Sox fan, like if I was just a generic player, I think there would be some that would be that would see the appeal of playing for like a prestigious franchise like the Red Sox or Yankees or Dodgers or whoever like that. That wouldn't really be something that I would be interested in, but I think some players would. There's also relationships with scouts. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen in the stories about these signees with the Red Sox and other teams has been they just developed a really good relationship with the scout and i think that's something that we don't really think enough about in terms of the draft is and that's a huge reason why i mean rob bradford has written a couple of profiles on these undrafted uh, guys and the scout was a major major reason behind them hmm. yeah and i think also seeing what happened with the royals class is pretty telling yeah. this year well i mean they're yeah it's, treat people like human beings that's also another good one yeah yeah absolutely and I think just to, to hit on the cons real quick, uh, you know, cons, if you're a pitcher, you might look at the Red Sox yeah, track record one. of pitcher development and think uh, you go to the Braves or something. All right, Sean Sear says our next question, and Sean says, does baseball even like baseball? This is tailor-made for you, Matt. Um, well, I think the question is, does Major League Baseball like baseball? Um, and I would say that it depends who you're talking about. I think that Rob Manfred likes baseball like my father likes baseball. My dad watches baseball. He knows a pretty good amount about baseball, but he's also not a huge baseball fan. And I think that's kind of what Rob Manfred strikes me as. Just a guy who kind of likes baseball and has found a way to make a lot of money and a guy that really loves negotiating against unions and he gets to do that. So good for him. Doing what he loves. You know, I read um, a really interesting article on The Athletic this week, and it profiled all the owners in baseball 
and how they made their money and what industries they work in and stuff like that and how they came to own the team and it was a really good piece and i'm blanking on who who wrote it right now um but all that kind of was to say that i feel like baseball lacks a little bit of passion with its ownership groups and and you think of I think the sport that I think of most when I think about passionate ownership groups, I think of the NBA and uh, particularly like the Mavericks and Mark Cuban or, you know, the Celtics with Wick Grossback and and guys like that that just seem to genuinely care about how their teams do. And I don't get the sense that there are that many baseball teams that really feel that way. And I get the sense that there's a, a good bit more baseball teams and the Pirates come to mind with Nutting, who's just kind of seems like an awful human being um that don't really even like baseball at all well i think okay well i think there's a little bit to that um but also i think in the nba you have owners sitting courtside so you see them all the time and it's a totally different atmosphere in the crowd so you can see what's his name the clippers guy balmer you can yeah. see him absolutely losing his mind on the sidelines. Just it's not really a thing that baseball is conducive to. And the owners usually are up in a box; they're not courtside with the players. But I mean, a little bit different atmosphere is part of it. Um, also, I mean, one of the biggest problems in baseball right now is that teams are just cost too much money, and it is impossible to buy a baseball team by yourself. And so now, all of these teams are leveraged with a ridiculous amount of debt from these private equity firms that are helping them buy the team and so that's i mean that's a whole discussion from another podcast it's something that people like mark normandon and michael bauman would be better to speak on than me but just owners there's not really as there's faces of ownerships but baseball owners really aren't just one person anymore and that's a good point, and and I want to give some credit to you. While you were talking about that, I was thinking that there are two ownership groups that I think ought to be kind of proud of themselves uh, throughout all this stuff, and those are the Tigers and the Royals, who have every reason to uh, want to basically cut pay and and do all that because their teams aren't very good. Uh, and the Royals owner actually just acquired the team and is the one that was kind of leading this charge. As nobody's being furloughed, nobody's pay is being cut all that stuff. He seems to be a really good owner already. And then uh, Illich over the years basically poured everything into that team in order to try and bring a, a championship. So I do kind of seems that, like the last old school sort of like, I just want yeah. to win a championship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and they were also one of the first teams when all the COVID stuff happened that did pay like their, ballpark employees and stuff like that the game day staff and and all that so i think that baseball ought to have a little bit more humanity and as we're seeing i mean it does does translate to the player side um marxist brandon bass that's a weird name but i like it um (laughs) says will there be a baseball strike in 2021 uh matt yes or no baseball strike well you've already discussed it's a lockout not a strike right um and yeah, I already said I think there's probably a good chance that they miss some baseball. I don't think they're missing the entire. Well, 2021? No, they're playing 2021 unless the pandemic takes a nasty turn. Uh, it would be 2022. Yeah. yeah, there's no way they don't play 2021 unless COVID goes wild. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, Spencer Mattis- Mattinson has a really interesting question for us. 
He says you have one game. You pick one of two players in their prime, and the one you don't pick is on the other team. The rest of the rosters are filled with equally average MLB players. So who do you pick? In the question that he gives us, the two groups for each of these sides are Clemens versus Pedro, Nomar versus Pedroia, Boggs versus Jimmy Fox, uh, Fred Lynn versus Betts, Rice versus David Ortiz, and Papelbon versus Eck, knowing that the other guy that you don't pick will be on the other side of things. So let's just go through these real I quick. I thought this was pretty Cle- easy. I don't know about you. Clemens, Pedro, who you got? Pedro. Pedro, no question. Uh, Pedroia, Nomar, who you got? Nomar. I got Pedroia. What? That's insane. I don't think it is. is a gamer. Um, Boggs versus Fox. This one I thought I had to think a little bit about. I went Boggs. Um, I did, I'll be honest, I didn't really look at the numbers here, but I feel like Boggs was at least as good a hitter, and he plays third base at first base. This one's Fox for me, and it's not even remotely close. I probably should have looked at the numbers for this. I'm going to be honest, I didn't do much prep here. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Fox is, Fox was basically as close as you can get to Babe Ruth, uh, just like 10 years later. Um, Fred Lynn versus Mookie Betts. Okay. Who are you taking? I'm taking Fred Lynn. Insane. In his prime. What is happening right now? Fred Lynn in his prime was a better hitter. This is uh, absurd. Okay. <laughs> um, Rice versus Poppy. Ortiz. Yeah. Easy. Easy Ortiz. And Papelbon versus Eck. This one I did look up the numbers for. I think it's closer than a lot of people would think. I did go Eckersley. I think the thing that puts him over the top. I, I'm assuming we're only talking about Eck as a reliever to compare him to yeah. Papelbon. Um, so he, he could go multiple innings more so than Papelbon. Papelbon is more of a strictly one-inning guy. Not always, but just more so. But the numbers are closer than I think people would think. Uh, yeah, so like 2006 Papelbon is basically as good as it possibly yeah, gets I went, for a reliever. I looked at like a three, their like best three or four year period. I forget which one. Hmm. Um, I'm leaning Papelbon here. Um, but I think Eck is probably the smart choice. But I'm going to go Pap. I'm baffled that you took Pedroia over at Nomar. That is one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Why? The defense is way better. Okay. He also has basically the most uncanny ability to hit. In terms of like multi-hit games in his career, Pedroia is an absolute monster in that category. And not that Nomar isn't. Nomar, Nomar hit 372 in a season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a great player. I, I do think that Pedroia at his prime, was a comparably great player to Nomar at his prime. I think Nomar was flashier, that's but I think Pedroia... That's an absolutely insane statement, in my opinion. Who do you think's more clutch? I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, that matters in this scenario, I, the scenario I, that we're talking about. The other guy's on the other side, man. I don't care who's clutch. I think that Nomar is better, and I have more faith in Nomar getting a hit or getting, getting a big hit. In any given at bat, than Pedroia. Well, listen, it's it's Nomar all was not going to matter anyway. By the way, I mean Nomar. Nomar's great. Don't get me wrong. And I'll be honest; these numbers are still kind of fresh in my head from writing about all these guys. The the whole you going with Boggs over Fox just makes me win this thing. Well, to be fair, know, I did say down. I didn't do any research on that. One. <laughs> well, Boggs will be on base while Fox is hitting ding dongs. 
Yeah, that's fair. There you go. Well, I could just pull out the old argument that Jimmy Fox played in 1905 or whenever he played, and he would <laughs> just he would commit suicide after seeing a slider from <laughs> Dennis Eckersley or whatever. <laughs> hey, he overlapped with Ted Williams for a couple of years. Okay, well. <laughs> Ted Williams is one of the only players that I would say from like pre-1950 that I think could hang in baseball right now. But that's a different discussion. Ted is a beast, that's for sure. That was a fun question, nonetheless. Uh, Robbie Hyde has our next one. He says, scale of 1 to 10, 10 being no way, 1 being absolutely. Uh, what are the chances Nasty Nate dominates in a shortened season and carries us to a World Series in 2020-2007 Josh Beckett style? Can I just say that that scale is backwards and it's driving me nuts? <laughs> it should be 1, no way, 10, it absolutely. It should be. Yeah, um, so that's that's how I typically think of a one to ten yeah, scale. I'm, I'm very upset. <laughs> with it. Um, but using this insane scale, I guess I would probably say a seven. Okay, so we're not flipping the scale. That's really friggin' rattling me, man. I'm just answering the questions. <laughs> we have to flip the scale. Okay, I can't then that think would of be a seven three. as being. All right, so a three. That's all right. Um, I want to say. Even lower than a three. Um, I love I love Evaldi's potential, but I mean, I just uh, maybe maybe I'm giving I should give him more credit. I don't you know, know what? I'll, you know what? I keep I'll go coming four. back to. I'm probably gonna write about this in the next couple of days. But over the sixty game season, the best indication of how anything can happen is um, Sandy Leon in twenty sixteen. Oh, yeah, two months of Leon. Yeah, anything can happen yeah. in sixty games. Sandy Johnny Bench Leon. He would have won. He would have been a legitimate MVP candidate. This is the topic of the article I'm writing. I'm not even joking. He would have been in the MVP discussion if that was a 60 game season. Let's get wild, Matt. Let's put it out of five. Straight up coin flip. Oh, I'm sticking with my three, but you can do what you like. Uh, Trevor Latham has our next question. He says, with JD likely walking at the season's end, which I know you disagree with, Matt, mm-hmm. who do you foresee the Sox eyeing as a possible replacement in the middle of the order? You know me. There's no way JD walks now, right? No. The yeah. best, especially if we're assuming there's no universal DH next season, mm-hmm. um, which I still think there is a chance of. I don't know that I'd bet on it, but there is still a chance, I think, that the owner is just saying, let's do it. So I really don't think it's that big of a deal at the end of the day for the owners. Um, But, yeah, I don't think JD's walking. They could trade him. I could see him as a trade candidate. So um, I think – but I don't think that they would sign anybody to replace him. I think Bobby Dahlbeck is a likely candidate for that. Yeah. Um, All right, Ben Jacobson has our next question. He says, whatever happened to Anuri Tavares? I have no idea what happened to Anuri Tavares, so while Matt's looking that up, I'm going to get to the uh, next one. He's playing in the Mexican League. Okay, there we go. Didn't even have to. Um, Just Sox has our next question. He says, out of the 13 or so undrafted free agents who signed, uh, who are the top three uh, to watch for the Sox going forward? Um, And, uh, yes, it does look like 13. 
I can't name three because I don't know a ton about these guys, to be honest. But the one who has me most interested by far is Brian Van Bell, the right-handed pitcher from Miami who was their weekend starter. Four pitches, good command. Uh, stuff is, you know, maybe not super overpowering, but he's kind of a pitchability guy, which I do really like. Uh, yeah, I'm also not going to pick three, even though I've written about every single one of these players. I forget everything about pretty much every single one of these players. Uh, but Jake McKenzie has always been the one that stands out to me as the most intriguing. He's a very good athlete. He's hit a ton um, wherever he's played that's on the Cape and at Fordham. Uh, he can run. He can not a great defensive player, but you can kind of make him play all over the field a la Brock Holt. Um, so insofar as any of these guys are interesting prospects, I would say McKenzie's probably at the top of the list. Um, I have another question on these guys for you, Matt. Out of these 13 players, the two with the best names, I'll, I guess I'll give you three with the best names, are Cuba Bess, Murphy, uh, Andrew, and Jacinto Arredondo, which is very fun to say, uh, as you pointed out last time. Who has the best name out of those three players? Uh, probably... I kind of like Murphy Andrew, just because of how Murphy is spelled. Um, I'm the R-F-Y. It's kind of got that first name, last name inversion going on, and Murphy is spelled in a unique way, so I'll go with Murphy Andrew. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go with Cuba Bess. I just really like the four-letter. Rob Bradford four letter. wrote a very good profile on Cuba Bess. I would oh. recommend. I will check that out. Uh, as we are recording this, uh, the Major League players just agreed to the safety protocols. So, little little breaking news here. Yes, except for uh, everybody listening. It's not breaking news. It is about 12 hours yes. old, at least. <laughs> Good point. Um, and Matt Kitson has our final question of the day. He says, seeing how stingy owners have been, do you see Mookie's next contract taking a hit on where it would have been a year ago? Jeez. Oh, I mean, that's not even a question. It's not whether or not it will. It's how much. Yeah. I don't think he gets anywhere close to the reported $300 million that the Red Sox had offered him. I think it totally depends on if there's a postseason or not. Like, what's the best-case scenario for Mookie going forward now? For, for a contract? I mean, I would, I've always said I think he's going to take a one-year deal. I still think he, I don't know, take... One year, 20, 20, 25, I really couldn't even so that puts him at tw- that put that will put him at twenty eight entering his age twenty nine season for his next deal, right? Uh, I don't know how old Mookie Betts is. He's twenty seven right now. So if he took a one year deal and played his age twenty eight season, he'd be going into his age twenty nine season. If he I think he's playing, a lot less likely to get a huge deal. I don't. If he's point. keep if he keeps playing like Mookie Betts, I think he'd still get a monster deal. Like you think three hundred million? Yeah. Well. Uh-oh. Yes, but also with the whole lockout thing looming, I mean, there's just so many on there, so many variables that we just have no idea what the answers are. Yeah, I think that time running out and all the variables that we don't know, I think Mookie'd be lucky to get two fifty at this point. Unfortunately for him. I would probably disagree with that, but again, it's just too much to really. Know. Yeah. A lot of questions, that's for sure. 
um, that does it for our podcast today. We do hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go on, rate and review us. Um, we always appreciate that. You can rate and review us anywhere you're listening to the podcast. Uh, also, subscribe if you haven't done that. We do appreciate that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Matt at MattRYCons. You can follow me at, at DevJake. You can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. Uh, and Matt, what do you got going up on the site this week? Anything good? Uh, let's see. This week I am doing uh, that thing we did on the podcast a few weeks ago about the next award winners. I'm kind of expanding that out a little bit. So nice. That's going on all week. Cool. Um, and I am continuing to uh, get through uh, the all-time uh, Red Sox roster. I finish up the bullpen. Uh, almost finished the bullpen this week. I've got Papelbon coming out on Friday. And then I'll have Koji coming out on Tuesday uh, of next week. And then it'll be on to the starting rotation, uh, which will be the final five players of this series, which is kind of crazy. I feel like I've been doing this for a while, but, you know, it's coming to an end. Did we uh, time this perfectly with the start of the season? I think it is going to pretty much end as soon as the season starts. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. That is... It is like fate has intervened somehow, or, you know, it was excellent. That's why they kept declining offers. They're just trying to make it work out like this. <laughs> exactly. Well, we thank you all for joining us, and we will be with you again at this same time next week, or probably a little earlier.